0: Good morning New Life Church, we're glad that you can join us this morning for our worship around God's Word uh, Even though it's live stream, I'm sure you've noticed that I have recording from South Africa Here at Brackenhurst Baptist Church Please pray for my family and I as we are in transit, probably right at this moment in Ethiopia I'm waiting to return to the UAE and we look forward to seeing you all and we hope that everything will go according to plan, according to God's plan, and that we would see you very soon. So we really are looking forward to being back with you all. But today we have a special treat for you. Um I won't be preaching, but a very good friend of mine, one of the elders at Brackenhurst Baptist Church, he will be preaching. Stuart Chase was a batchmate of mine at Bible College, and uh, he has been serving at Brackenhurst Baptist Church for the last 20 odd years, eh, Stewie? And uh, we are so grateful for the opportunity for him to share with us here on this Lord's Day. He'll be preaching from Judges chapter 16, and um, I pray that you'll be blessed by that. Stewie, without any further ado, won't you please come and preach God's word to us this morning.
1: Well, thanks, Gareth. This is a great privilege. Um, You uh, are familiar, of course, with some of the members of Brackenhurst. You've had um, our pastor teacher, Doug, visiting you there in the UAE. You've had visits from Quinn, from Rob. Um, I've never had the opportunity to visit the UAE, but um, you can be assured that um, at Brackenhurst, we pray regularly for um, the New Life Church. And we it a huge privilege to be able to partner with you in gospel work um, through Gareth and the ministry there at New Life Church. As Gareth says, we're in the book of Judges this morning and looking with a specific focus on Judges chapter 16. Um, now, in order to really get to the point of where I want to get, I do have to... Uh, touch on the earlier chapters in Judges as well, and so we are going to, I will refer back to those and and touch on them several times, but really try to draw this all together in um, chapter 16 in particular as we begin um, to draw to a close a little bit later. As you're aware, um, the story of Judges chapter 16, uh, Judges chapter 13 to 16, apologies for the helicopter flying over, welcome to South Africa, (laughs) Um, The story of Judges chapter 13 to 16 is the story of Samson, um, perhaps uh, the the most famous judge in the book of Judges. Now, as I said, I've never had opportunity to visit Abu Dhabi, but I suspect that despite the um, cultural differences between South Africa and Abu Dhabi, there is at least one thing that we share in common. And that is, I believe, a love-hate relationship with autocorrect if you have a um, smartphone you have this this uh, feature on your phone called autocorrect which is sometimes helpful um, very often not particularly helpful there's a lady in our church um, who was messaging a group of women in the church asking she was having some teenagers coming to sleep over at a house and she was asking them if anyone had any spare mattresses and so she sent this message down whatsapp And Autocorrect helpfully stepped in and correct mattresses to mistresses, asking if anyone had any spare mistresses. Um, Of course, that's a rather embarrassing version of Autocorrect. I remember years ago when I first started working at the church, we had another church secretary. This was back in the days when Nokia had the sort of predictive text, the early version of Autocorrect. And uh, I was messaging our secretary to ask about a particular number that I needed. And she responded to me, and here's the response. I'll read it verbatim, the response that I received from her. She says, quote, Yes, insert the number yeah, that I was looking for. Ask Den's collections. Sometimes Moda is too busy video. They leave her in week, but looks like they slipped us. Just arrivance at Choprit CT to L's home. To this day, I still have no idea what she was trying to tell me as I was asking for the number, but at least I got the number because that part didn't autocorrect. Well, I think it's safe to say that for many, autocorrect is a savior that they never particularly asked for. You get it with your smart device, but no one really asked for it. And while it often does benefit us, sometimes it provides us with these awkward autocorrect situations. Well, Israel's final judge, if we exclude Samuel, who could be considered the final judge of Israel, was this man by the name of Samson. Samson's story is told in three distinct acts from chapter 13 to chapter 16 of Judges. Act 1 in chapter 13 is his origin story, as it were. Act 2 in chapters 14 to 15 is the story of Samson's great strength and trying to obtain salvation for Israel by his strength. And then chapter 16 is the third act in which we see God actually achieving salvation for his people through Samson's weakness, really. In each of these acts, we find a judge standing alone, a judge whom no one asked for, like autocorrect, a savior whom no one really wanted, no one really supported. And yet we see a judge whom God supported and a judge through whom God began to save his people, Israel. As I said, our focus this morning will be particularly on chapter 16, but in order to get there, I really do want to just touch on the earlier chapters in a build-up to get to the focus on chapter 16, as we talk about this unwanted salvation, unwanted salvation, as we've called it. So let me begin by just reading um, just the the introduction to Samson's origin story in chapter 13, and then we'll pray, and then we'll launch into consideration together. So Judges chapter 13, I'll just read Uh, The first five verses of Judges chapter 13. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this text before us. Thank you for the story of Samson. Thank you for what it teaches us about unwanted salvation, and yet by your gracious provision actual salvation we pray that you would help us to learn from the story of samson to look beyond the man to look beyond the savior that lay behind this man and to grow in our appreciation for the salvation that jesus christ has provided for us we ask these things in jesus name amen so as i've said we're going to touch on these early chapters in judges just to build up and um we as i said have three particular acts a a three-stage three stages in the story of Samson the first of those is what i've called in chapter 13 unwanted salvation assured by god unwanted salvation assured by god notice in particular as we just read those verses that Samson was a judge that was given that actually nobody asked for if you read the story of judges you've you've become familiar with with a particular pattern the people of israel sin and they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. They cry out to the Lord for a savior. And then the Lord graciously gives them a savior, despite the fact that they don't deserve it. Or at least in one instance God says to them that I will not provide you with a savior. But in each case it's response it's in response to the people asking for a savior the story of judges chapter 13 to 16 the story of samson is different there's no record of god's people asking for a savior god simply appears to Manoah and his wife and promises them that he's going to give them a son who will begin to save israel from their sins now that's a significant reality there's no record of the people sinning uh, no record of them them crying out for um, deliverance from the people, from the, the enemies that God has given them to, and yet God provides the Savior. In fact, we see this first of all in microcosm. It's, it's interesting that if you, you compare the story of Samson with the story of, of Samuel, there's unmistakable parallels that both Samson's parents and Samuel's parents were unable to conceive, or Samson's mother and S- Samuel's mother were unable to conceive. But there's a stark difference. If you read the opening chapters of Samuel, you'll see that Samuel's mother, Hannah, fervently pleaded to the Lord with her husband, Elkanah. They fervently pleaded to the Lord and and asked the Lord, begged the Lord to give them a son. They went up to the temple and they brought sacrifices to the Lord. And even in the temple themselves, they pleaded with God to give them a son. You don't read any of that in, in Samson's story. It seems that Samson's parents had resigned themselves. To barrenness, They'd resigned themselves to the fact that they were never going to have children. And despite the fact that they weren't praying, God intervened. God came and said, I am going to give you a son, and this son will begin to save his people from their sins. Bruce Waltke says that Manoah's wife had stoically resigned herself to barrenness and despaired of prayer. That's very, very different to the story of, of Elkanah and Hannah. But that becomes something of a microcosm of Samson's judgeship. Because if that's recorded in Samson's own family, as you read the story of Judges, you see that the same thing happens in Samson's life and in his judgeship. In fact, the most most obvious place for this is the record towards the end of Judges chapter 15. Uh, I've always found it at a stark reality that while all the other judges raised up armies around them, Samson never did that. But I don't think there was any, anything on Samson's fault that that wasn't able to happen. Listen to this story from Judges chapter 15, verses 9 to 13. Samson has, has uh, once again gone against the Philistines, and in a show of strength, he's embarrassed them, and he's, he's uh, struck them down with a great blow. And it says in Judges chapter 15, verse 9, and the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us?" They said, we have come up to bind Samson and to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, and listen to what they say to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this then that you have done to us? Consider what they're saying to Samson. Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are in charge? There's nothing we can do about it. We have just resigned ourselves to the fact that we're under Philistine oppression. And Samson may well have responded to his own people and said, don't you realize that God has raised me up as a deliverer from the Philistines? But the people weren't in a position to receive that. They weren't looking for salvation at this point. They had resigned themselves to the fact that they were under Philistine oppression oppression, and there was nothing they could do about it. They weren't looking for salvation. The salvation that Samson came to provide was an unwanted salvation. No wonder Samson never amassed an Israelite army around himself to fight against the Philistines. Nobody was willing to stand with him. Nobody was willing to support him. Nobody was willing to fight with him. He stood alone, not by any fault of his own, but because the people had resigned themselves to the fact that they had no option, that they had no hope of salvation. And yet, despite this, despite the fact that the people had resigned themselves to oppression, God provided salvation for a faithless generation. God stepped in with divine initiative and said, I am going to give you a savior. Can I just pause and say that we must be encouraged that we serve a God of initiative. The Bible teaches us that all of us were complacent in sin. In fact, all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. No one was righteous, Paul says in Romans chapter 3 not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Like Israel, we were not seeking salvation. We didn't come to God and beg him for a savior. Apart from God's initiative, salvation would never have come to us, but God stepped in and he provided the salvation for us. Laura Smith says that grace is operative even, and perhaps especially when we do not seek it. We need to be thankful that we serve a God of initiative. Israel rested seemingly content in its sin until God stepped in and God provided the salvation that they needed from the Philistines. And so in chapter 13, we see unwanted salvation that is assured by God. In chapters 14 and 15, we see unwanted salvation that is attempted through strength. These these chapters, we see Samson attempting to, to deliver Israel through this amazing strength that God had given to him there is intentional stylistic parallel in chapters 14 and 15 and then in chapter 16 in the the second and the third acts here in both instances in chapter 14 and 15 Samson chapter 14 verse 1 Samson saw one of the daughters of the Philistines in chapter 16 verse 1 he saw a prostitute and went into her in chapter 14, verses 5 to 6, we have a feat of strength as he saves, um, that, that saves him from death as he kills the lion. In chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, we see a feat of strength that preserves him from death as he lifts the gates, as we'll talk about in a moment. In chapter 14, a woman learns Samson's secret and betrays him to his enemies. In chapter 16, a woman learns Samson's secret and betrays him to his enemies. In both texts, Samson is bound, and both texts record a great slaughter of Philistines. In both sections, Samson prays to God. And in both sections, both sections, in fact, chapter 15, verse 29, and chapter 16, verse 31, end with a note about the time that Samson ruled the, ruled Israel as judge. These parallels are unmistakable, and they're intentional. The author is trying to draw our attention to something. But what is more significant is the different directions in which Act 2 and Act 3 take us. In Act 2, we see Samson displaying amazing feat of strength after amazing feat of strength, and through his acts of strength, trying to deliver the people of Israel, and we see that he fails. In chapter 16, we see that he's brought low. He's brought to the end of himself. He's brought to utter weakness, and only in his weakness is he able to embrace God's strength and provide the salvation that God intended him to provide. Now, we can't take time to consider the acts of strength recorded in chapters 14 and 15. That's not our purpose. But suffice it to say that these could well be scenes from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have here Samson displaying feet of strength after feet of strength and uh, defeating his enemies in one encounter after another. If this was a superhero movie, the people would be marveling at at Samson's strength and and he would have a fancy costume to wear with a logo that identifies him as one of the Avengers. At some point, Nick Fury would arrive and co-opt him for the Avengers initiative. Indeed, this is how Samson himself seems to have interpreted the events. It's interesting that after Samson takes the jawbone of the donkey and he kills a thousand Philistines, Listen to what he says in uh, chapter 15, verse 18. It says, and he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Do you see what Samson's saying? That I've done it. That these great acts of strength are providing the salvation that I need. I am actually delivering Israel as you intended me to deliver them. He is interpreting this as as success on his part now if you're a careful reader of the book of judges and you've read and you've noted the pattern as we've made our way through the book of judges you'll see that actually by the time you come to to the end of chapter 15 you would expect the story to end there because samson has achieved these great feats of deliverance he's killed many philistines over a long period of time and the 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 chapter ends with These words in chapter 15, verse 20, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. That's typically how the story of the judges ends. You have a judge, it, it tells you his origin story, it tells you the way that he delivered Israel, and then it ends by saying that he judged Israel for so many years. And so if you're following the pattern, you read chapter 15, verse 20, and you think, okay, that's the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story, because chapter 16 resets the story. And as I said, you have these parallels between chapters 14 and 15 and chapter 16, where the story is reset, and once again, we're, we're brought to, uh, to, to focus on the real deliverance that Samson was going to achieve, but not through his strength, really through his weakness. Those chapters, the, those stories in, in chapter 14 and 15 are exciting. We love those, like, Sunday school children, Sunday school boys in particular, love those stories. But the point that the author is trying to make is that wasn't sufficient. Samson thought he was obtaining salvation for God's people, but that wasn't what God intended. It wasn't how he was going to obtain salvation. The author's theological design is to remind us that salvation comes, that that deliverance comes, that God's work is achieved not by might, nor by power, but by God's spirit. That's the lesson we are wanting to take away from this. You see, if we think that salvation comes by our own strength, we will have no need of the Savior whom God sent to save sinners. That's where Samson was. Samson thought, see this great salvation that I have obtained. And yet God's, God was not in there. God's salvation was not in that. And if we think that salvation comes by our strength, we will find that we have no need of Jesus Christ. We will be like the Laodiceans who boasted, I am rich, I am increased with goods, and I have need of nothing, including God, by implication. When in fact we are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. See, there are a few things that cause people to reject Jesus Christ than the lie of self salvation. It's the oldest lie in the world. When Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you will not surely die. In fact, if you listen to me, you will be like God. You can obtain your own salvation. And that plunged the human race into sin. But let's also realize, by the way, that it's not only believers who are tempted in this way. It's not only be- unbelievers sorry, who are tempted to think that they can earn salvation or keep their own salvation by their own works. We are sometimes tempted, even if it's not earning our salvation, we are guilty of thinking that we can somehow keep our salvation by our own works. We find security in the regularity of our Bible reading, or in the regularity of our prayer life, or in the regularity of our church attendance, and we look to those things. That's what makes us acceptable before God. No, that's focusing on our own works. That's falling into the same trap that Samson fell into, thinking that he obtained this great salvation by his own strength. We look to our works of mercy and our biblical ethics for comfort. We fail to recognize that these efforts are stirred in us by the Spirit, and we look to the works themselves rather than to the Spirit who enables those works in us. That's exactly the trap that Samson fell into. He was looking at his strength rather than the Spirit who had given him the strength. We're far more like Samson than we like to admit. But that brings us then briefly, to really the focus that we want to be on. If, if chapter 13 highlights unwanted salvation assured by God, and if chapter 14 and 50 highlights unwanted salvation attempted by strength, chapter 16, the third act in the story, highlights unwanted salvation achieved in weakness. Unwanted salvation achieved in weakness. Again, Samson believed that he had obtained this great salvation by his remarkable strength. He needed to realize that God's salvation is magnified, not in human strength, but in human weakness. And so chapter 16 resets the story. Chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Again, you have the resetting of the story here. You have Samson, once again, as in chapter 14, coming, and he sees a particular woman, and he falls for her. And he goes to her, and once again, as, as in chapter 14, the Philistines find out that he's there. They come to entrap him. They come with this intention to kill him. And once again, you have a a tremendous feat of strength that Samson displays in order to deliver himself, in order to save himself from certain death. In fact, this feat of strength in chapter 16 dwarfs every other feat of strength that we've seen. It makes every other feat of strength that we've read in chapter 14 to 15, makes it seem like child's play. You see the The gates of the city, the the city gates like those in Gaza with their bar and posts, as it said, those weighed in the region of four tons. Samson wakes up at midnight, uproots these, puts them on his shoulder, and it says that he carries them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. That's 60 kilometers away. Carrying four tons on his shoulders for 60 kilometers. And the reason he's going there is because the hill that is in front of Hebron, that's right there in the middle of Judah. Samson's trying to make the point to the people of Judah, don't you realize that you don't have to resign yourself to this oppression? God has raised me up. And so he he takes these, these bars and he plants it in the middle of Judah. And he's saying, look at this. Look at what we can achieve if you will side with me. The kind of strength that is described here is what we see in comic books. This is like Thor or the Incredible Hulk. And if you're an Israelite and you're looking for deliverance, surely there can be no better candidate than Samson. Surely a man of such great strength, you would want to rally around him, you'd want to follow him. But that's not what we see. The people are not willing to follow Samson. And of course, this isn't how the story ends. The story doesn't end with Samson's great feat of strength achieving salvation for the people of Israel. Before we're going to see how he actually brings salvation to Israel, we must encounter Delilah. And so we're told in chapter 4, or chapter 16, verse 4, After this, he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and humble him. And we will each give you 1100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Once again, we see Philistines coming, finding the one weakness that they can identify in Samson. He's got a weakness for women. And so they come and they they once again go to this woman that he has fallen for and they say, betray him to us. Find out how we can get to the bottom of his strength and we will pay you richly for it. Again, it's very familiar to the story in chapter 14. And so Delilah, with her eyes on the money, begins to ask Samson, tell me how we can get to the bottom of your strength. Tell me how we can find the source of your weakness. Tell me what is your kryptonite. And Samson considers this to be a, a, a very fun game, and he starts telling all sorts of things. He says, first of all, you know, if you just, you tie me up with new bowstrings, in chapter 16, verses 7 to 9. And she tries that, and the Philistines come, and they attack Samson, and of course, his strength is not dissipated. And he gets up, and he breaks those, and he, he once again achieves a victory over the Philistines. And she asks him again. And he says to her, okay, well, if you if you bind me with new ropes, use new ropes. And then my strength will depart from me. And I'll be just like any other man. And so while he's sleeping, she binds him with new ropes. And once again, she alerts him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And again, he gets up and he breaks those new ropes as if they're nothing. And he wins another victory over the Philistines. Third time, he says to her, well, if you take the, the locks of my hair and you weave them together, then I will be weak just like any other man. And Samson's... Um, Samson's woman Delilah believes him once again and she weaves together the the locks of his hair and she calls for the Philistines to arrest him and once again Samson gets up and he he proves that he's as strong as he ever was and he achieves another victory over the Philistines But Delilah would not be deterred. She wants this money and Samson's not going to be warned You'd think by this point that he's told her three times three times she has betrayed him to the hand of the of the Philistines You'd think by this point Something's wrong with this guy. You know he needs, to, he needs to see what's happening here. He needs to avoid this relationship. This relationship is not good for him. But he doesn't get the warning. Delilah's eyes are on the money. And so as his wife had previously pressed him hard in chapter 14, verse 17, so Delilah presses him hard. She, she presses upon him and just nags him day after day. Tell me where your great strength lies. You've lied to me. And when you could take her pressing no more, In chapter 15, he finally says, he finally tells her, in chapter 16, verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, if you're paying attention once again, you'll notice that actually something isn't quite lining up here. Because there's no way in the text that actually tells us that Samson's great strength lay in his hair. In fact, every time that that Samson displays a great act of strength, it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And it's as God strengthens him that he displays these great acts of strength. So what's going on with this story about his hair? It tells us that he told her that he told her all his heart that he he seems to have um, really broken down and finally told her how she can weaken him. And of course, we know that it works. So, so what was the connection between Samson's hair and his strength? Well, I think there's two possibilities. First of all, it is possible that God had told Samson at some point, "If your hair is cut, you will lose your strength," and we're we're just that's just not recorded for us. Um, It's possible that Samson knew that and so that he knew that his strength lay in his hair and if his hair was cut, he would lose his strength. That's possible, but I don't think it's likely. The second and I think more likely explanation is that Samson was given an answer that he really thought was true and was kind of true, but not really true. Let Let me explain this. As I said, it's evident in the story that the Spirit of God is the source of Samson's strength. That's when Samson is strengthened, when the Spirit of God gives him this great strength. But there was something significant about his hair. You remember that Samson was a Nazarite, and as a Nazarite, he, he had three vows that, he had, uh, that had been placed upon him by God. He was supposed to avoid anything to do with grapes, um, a- any fruit of the vine. He was to avoid any contact with dead bodies, and he was to allow his hair to grow. Those were the vows that... A Nazarite took upon himself, the three vows that they had. But if you remember, and if you read the story of Samson carefully, um, you'll pretty soon realize that Samson wasn't the most faithful Nazarite in the world. In fact, it seems that the writer of, of Judges, the writer of Samson's story, is trying to draw specific attention to this. We're told that Samson was, as an Nazarite, to separate himself from the fruit of the vine and from alcoholic beverages. But we're told, or it's at least hinted, that Samson was not fully faithful in this. In chapter 14, verse 10, we're told that Samson attempted a, uh, attended a feast. And the Hebrew word that is translated feast there literally means a drinking feast. In other words, it's a feast where alcohol was abundant. And so the fact that Samson was there at the very least suggests that he was involved and he was drinking alcohol that he was not supposed to do in fact the the, the valley of sorek we're told that he, he was yeah in the valley of sorek that word uh, the word translated sorek the valley of sorek literally means the valley of vines and so the writer's trying to to suggest to us here that samson was not as faithful in separating himself from the fruit of the vine as he should have been But if there's only a hint of faithlessness in this first regard when it comes to vines, it becomes more explicit in the second. Because the second element of a Nazarite vow is that you're supposed to separate yourself from Caucasus, from dead human beings and dead animals. And we know that that wasn't true of Samson. We know that that he was involved in killing many Philistines. We know the story that after he had killed the lion and sometime later he went and there was honey that was, that the bees had got inside the carcass of the lion and they were creating honey there. He put his hand inside there and he took it out. He was not separating himself from carcasses as he was supposed to. And so it's quite clear that Samson had violated the first two vows. He had violated the vow Of abstaining from the fruit of the vine, he had violated the vow of steering clear of dead animals. The only thing that was still evident, the only reason that people could still conclude that he was a Nazarite was because of his growing hair. And that's significant because you could in fact, we're told that when he, when he took the honey and he took it to his parents, we're told specifically that he didn't tell them where he got it from. Why didn't he tell them where he got it from? Because he didn't want them to realize that he had touched a dead animal, that he had stuck his hand inside the carcass of the lion. They didn't want, he didn't want them to know that he had violated his Nazarite vow. And the truth is, you could violate the Nazarite vow by breaking the, the restriction against alcohol, and fruit of the vine, and you could violate it by touching dead bodies without anybody else knowing. You could do those things in secret, and nobody would be any the wiser. People would look at you and see, as long as your hair is growing, you must be faithful to your Nazarite vow. The hair was the external evidence that the Nazarite was faithful to God on the inside. And so I think that's what's happening here. The the hair was, was was, was a testimony to other people to a testimony to those that were looking on that Samson was still right with God in the inside. And so when his hair was cut, it's not like his strength was biologically somehow tied to the length of his hair. But that was, as it were, the last straw. Once his hair was cut, it was clear that his Nazarite vow was broken and God was no longer with him. And so Samson says to Delilah, if you have my hair cut, my strength will depart from me. And so she waits until he's asleep. And she calls in a man to come cut his hair. And she says to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And the text tells us that he gets up, not realizing that God had departed from him, not realizing that his strength had departed. And he gets up to go confront the Philistines. And this time he finds himself powerless. And he's arrested. And he's taken captive. And his eyes are gouged out. And his hair is completely shaved. And he becomes a source of mocking to the Philistines. He's put in prison. We're not told how long he was put in prison for. But we are told that while he was in prison, his hair began to grow back again. So there must be some time that he was in the prison there. But we are told that in, at some point in verse 23 of chapter 16, now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given enemy, the Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands and the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now, the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained them. So at some point, the Philistines throw this great party to celebrate their victory over Samson. But there's an ominous note in the text before this story. In fact, in chapter 16, verse 22, it says that while he's in prison and he's he's grinding at the mill, verse 22 says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, you remember, Samson's strength was not biologically tied to his hair, I don't believe. So what's the significance of his hair growing? As I said, the, the length of a Nazarite's hair was testimony to the fact that the Nazarite was right with God. In fact, Numbers chapter 6 tells us that if a Nazarite broke his vow, he had to shave his head and then he had to start his vow all over again. So as long as a Nazarite's hair was growing, that was evidence that he was faithful to God. And I think the writer is trying to say something to us here. As as Samson's hair is growing back, the writer is trying to hint with us that while Samson was in prison, while Samson was grinding out at the mill there, while he was humbled and his strength had been taken from him, this was opportunity for him to do business with God. And as his hair was growing back, Samson was making right with God. And Samson was finally at the point, after he had been humbled, after he had realized that he couldn't deliver Israel by his strength, he was at the point where God could now use him. And so the Philistines called for Samson to come out. And we're told in chapter 28, or chapter 16, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, "O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes." And Samson grasped the middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, "Let me die with the Philistines." Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's. And upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death. Were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Finally Samson began to deliver Israel. From the hand of the Philistines. And yes he was only beginning to. It was only the beginning of the deliverance. But finally when he came to the point. We realized this wasn't about his strength. This was about God's strength. He began to achieve. What God actually wanted him to achieve. Now as we bring this to a close. The theological significance of chapter 16 when it is compared to the rest of the narrative is that samson had to be brought low before he finally achieved the salvation that god intended him to achieve he could not achieve the salvation that he wanted in his own strength when he was weak god's strength was on display in his life can i just say that if we want to accomplish great things for god It starts by dismissing any notions of our own strength. It starts by embracing our weakness. It starts by praying for God's strength to be manifested in us. Sometimes we imagine that God will only work through us, and God can only work through us when we look good. When things are going well, when our faith is strong, when circumstances are favorable, then we believe God's grace can shine. We wake up and and we've had a wonderful time of devotions, and we feel like now we're ready to face the day. God, bring it on. Let me minister for you effectively today because things are going great. But then we have those bad days. We have those bad days where we woke up late and we we didn't get to our devotions. We have those days where the prayers seem to just bounce off the ceiling. We find ourselves in un, unfavorable circumstances. We find that our faith is failing. And we think at that point, no, God, not today. Work through someone else instead. I'm not ready for this today. You can't work through me today. But I want you to consider something of what Paul wrote. When Paul wrote about his, his weakness in, uh, or his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to what he said here in verse 9. After he had besought the Lord three times for the Lord to take this away, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul therefore says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So let me just ask you, when do you feel most confident in your service for the Lord? Is it when you face insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities? Is that when you feel most confident in your ability to to do what God is calling you to do, to minister effectively for God's glory? Probably not, but it should be. Because as Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when I am weak, God's strength is displayed through me. Samson needed to learn that lesson, and so do we. Samson's story is a story of unwanted salvation assured by God chapter 13 It's a story of unwanted salvation attempted by strength chapters 14 to 15 It's the story of unwanted salvation achieved in weakness chapter 16 and really behind it all It's the story of unwanted salvation secured by Christ You see in the in the end Samson Secured a significant victory more people in his death than in his entire life And again, yes, he only began to save Israel from the oppression, but it was a significant beginning nonetheless. But let's remember, this was a salvation. This was a deliverance that nobody had asked for. Israel wasn't asking for a deliverer. God came in and God graciously provided this deliverer. God's initiative produced a special deliverer. Everything in Samson's story highlights the fact that he was a special deliverer is a man who was separated from the womb, who was declared by an angel of the God to be God's chosen deliverer. He was a man about whom we know nothing about his childhood, except for the mere fact, the mere statement that he grew in the Lord and that the Lord began to move in his life. has a man on whom the spirit of God rushed in his ministry so that he could, he could perform great acts. He has a man who was sent to his own, But his own did not receive him. He has a man whose own, in fact, openly rejected him. He has a man who was arrested by his own and handed over to his enemies. He has a man who was tortured. A man who was made a public spectacle until in his death he achieved his greatest victory. Let me ask you, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Samson was far from perfect. Samson was perhaps the most flawed of all the judges. But as God's appointed saviour, he in some ways foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God did not send Jesus Christ because people were asking for a saviour. It was God's initiative. Before the foundation of the world, he chose a people and he said, I am sending my son to save these people from their sins. The text of scripture tells us that it's while we were still sinners, in fact, while we were still enemies of God that Jesus Christ came to die for us. Far from looking for a Savior, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, at His own initiative, sent a Savior to save people from their sins. To send, he sent a Savior to save those who were comfortable in their sins, who were dead in their trespasses and sins, who had come to, to terms with the fact that we cannot save ourselves. God sent a Savior for those people. Thank God for His initiative in unwanted salvation. The truth is, the only reason we ever want Jesus Christ is because God has begun a work in us. If God has begun that work in you, and you find that inner yearning for a savior, that that inner yearning for deliverance, Let me appeal to you, look to Jesus Christ, the only Savior whom God has given for sinful human beings. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he was buried, and he rose again, proving that he was victorious over sin, proving that he had conquered sin and death in his own death, proving that he is able to save to the fullest those who come to him for salvation. He is willing to save any who call upon him. And so if you find in your heart that you are yearning for that salvation, look to Jesus Christ. If this talk of salvation is meaningless to you, let me urge you to cry out to God and to give you that desire for salvation. It's not something you're going to drum up in yourself. Your only hope of escape from eternal destruction is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to pray to God to give you a desire for Jesus Christ. And then when God answers your prayer and you feel the longing for salvation, for sin, cry out to Jesus Christ. Ask him to give you salvation and receive then the gift of eternal life. Let me just read a couple of verses to you as we bring this to a close. Hebrews chapter 2, the writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Do you notice that? That's the same words that Samson spoke. Samson, after he had Killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. Said, "See this great salvation that I have obtained." The writer of Hebrews saying, "No, don't neglect the true great salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ." If you are one who has received life in Christ, let me close by urging you: realize that God does not need your strength. God does not need your accomplishments to fulfill His purposes. Instead, embrace your weakness. And allow Jesus Christ's strength to shine in your life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the fact that when we were not looking for a savior, you by your initiative gave us Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. Lord, I pray if there is one who is listening to this, who has not yet understood the truth, who has not yet embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, give them that yearning, give them that longing, begin that initiative in their life so that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, for those of us who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, help us to avoid the temptation of thinking that God can work to us when we are strong, when we are in our good days. God can use our strength to minister to other people. Help us to realize that, as Paul said, when we are weak, then we are strong, because then your strength can be perfectly shown in us. Help us to learn that lesson from Samson today. Lord, I pray that you just encourage New Life Church. Help them to, to know of your grace this day. Help them to know of your favor in their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.